For anyone who is listening to the shiur, please go back to the shiur from Sunday and listen to the last 15 minutes. The reason I keep saying that is because it's, it's going to become a deep philosophical... It's, it's a fundamental point that I want to keep building on as we learn more about Tumah and Tahara. Now, talking about Tumah and Tahara, we are studying today Parashat Tazriya, and this week is a double parasha, so it's Tazriya Mitzorah. To my chagrin, not my chagrin, to, to, it, it, it makes it a lot difficult, a lot more difficult, uh, because as a standalone parasha, it's difficult enough to teach this. Now we have to do Tazriya and Mitzorah together. The good thing is that they're related. I mean, there's a reason they're connected. The, the overall, the overall uh, progression of, from Tazriya to Mitzorah is that Tazriya introduces Tzara'at and how it's diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And then Mitzorah goes through the process of how it is cleansed. Yes. Now the end of Mitzorah also has uh, a few other things. For example, the end of Mitzorah talks about Tzara'at on the house. Tzara'at on the house is different from Tzara'at on the Oof. body. The whole cleansing process that we spoke of is more relevant to Tzara'at on the body. Uh, that we will speak of in Mitzorah is relevant to Tzara'at on the body. And then uh, there's also bodily discharges. So Tazriya opens up with the childbirth and how, what kind of tum'ah that causes to, to come into the woman. Yeah. And then the end of Mitzorah, if I'm not mistaken, talks about discharges, other discharges from the body that also cause tum'ah. They're called zav and zava. Yes. Um, and typically it's translated as uh, gonorrheal uh, um, uh, emissions. Yeah. But... but I'm not a doctor enough for that to be meaningful to me. So anyways, we, uh, so before we even begin, there's a discussion on the whole point of all of these laws. The discussion is to what extent are the laws surrounding these emissions, the mitzorah, to what extent are these laws tied to the health implications of them? So for example, when the person becomes a mitzorah, if we're not sure if he's a mitzorah, then we put him in quarantine. Yes. If we are seven sure days, he's, and then after another seven days. If we are sure he is a mitzorah, then we send him outside the camp. So now the question becomes, to what extent are we doing that because we are scared of but, keeping a sick person in the camp? The same way we quarantine for COVID. To what uh, extent it is it a... It doesn't, this doesn't give to other people. Right. So... so is, isolation so, is the so whole idea. The, the debate, isolation because exactly. of what so, they did to somebody else. Right. So the debate, so the debate is between more uh, academic scholars and more traditional scholars. Traditional scholars say, what are you talking about? The, the, there's clearly no rel- relation between the mitzorah, the tzara'at, and health implications. So we're not doing these things because of, for health reasons. And there's good proof to that because... There's some strange laws that, that don't make... If it's really contagious, which is what other scholars want to say, if it's really contagious, then there are two funny laws. One, if the Kohen uh, decides, d- doesn't diagnose it... Everybody else can get it. <laughs> no, no. If the Kohen doesn't diagnose it, then it's still not considered Sarat. Yes. Right? So, so he, he doesn't... He, 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 Actually, the Kohen decides. And yeah, the Kohen so it's the Kohen who decides. The Kohen, if they're if they newly married, married, married they, he can say, you know what? We wait another... T- Two weeks, right? Because I don't want to uh, ruin your happiness. Right, exactly, exactly. There's a lot of. <laughs> you know a lot. I, I can't. I, I must say, you do know a lot. No. Now, another, another interesting thing is if the tzara'at covers the entire body, it is not considered tzara'at. Now, how how do you square that with it being a health issue? 
Okay, so these are th- those are the discussions that are that are had. Um, I'm obviously on the side of it not being a health issue at all. It seems to be a completely spiritual ailment, yes. but. Uh, we're going to try over the course of the week to un- get a better understanding of the philosophical implications for what Sarat is. Um, you know, we say that people get it over Lashon Hara, but according to the Gemarot and the Midrashim, it's a lot more broad than that. It's not just, it's not just Lashon Hara. And there is a difference in reasoning between Sarat that goes on the body and Sarat that goes on the house. Yes. So yes. all of these things are, are very important to understand. We even did them last year. Yes. We, we had a shiur on this last year. Uh, during COVID, uh, which was awfully relevant at the time. In the meantime, I also want to understand uh, why is Tazria, why are we all of a sudden talking about the Tzara'at at this point, point in the text, okay? So, if you look right after Mitzorah, what parasha do you have? Acharemot. Acharemot. And Aharon begins, and it was after the death of the sons of Aharon. We go back to... We go back to the story. <laughs> so Tazriya and Mitzorah are part of a very large tangent. Expl- a large expl- t- explanation of... Yeah, it's, it's a large tangent from the text, from the storyline of the text. And it's part of the segment of the text that spoke about Kedushah, yes. right? The first part of the tangent of the text. So if you remember, starting from the death of Aharon, we did it as follows. We have the death of Aaron's, uh, sorry, not death of Aaron, death of Aaron's sons. Starting from the death of Aaron's sons, we learned the law of intoxication, which made sense in light of either they were drunk or it's, it's a similar sin to, also for future, to for future, lose... Uh, also for future, you know, it's, it's not right that people get intoxicated. Yeah, right, right, but in just, in, just, just in terms of understanding the progression. So, so we, we learned about the intoxication. Then we went back and we had the story of Aaron and his sons eating of... The thigh and the and the, the chest. and the chest of the shalamim, they didn't eat of that korban chatat that the people brought. And if you want more explanation on that, go back to our Sunday shiur <laughs> because we spent a long time just understanding it. They didn't eat of that. They had that little dispute where Moshe heard out Aharon's reasoning yes. and he accepted it. And then once, and that was as in terms of storyline, that was the last thing we did. Then we turned to the tumah and tahara, and we turned to. Kosher and non-kosher. Correct. And the, first of all, we said they're very interrelated, kosher and non-kosher, tuman tara, for whatever reason. But they, the reason they're brought there is one because now that the mishkan is erected, we now have to respect more. Have to have when to you, learn the wanna, laws. When you of, are going to the mishkan, you have to be very careful. Exactly, we have to learn the laws of yes. what am I allowed to go in, and what yes. makes me tameh, and what doesn't make me yes. tameh. So it's very, it's very befitting, and so. The laws of the Tum'ah in our parasha are a continuation of that theme. Yes. We built the Mishkan, it's completely built, it's, it's up, and now it's our duty to know when I'm allowed to go in and when I'm not allowed to go in. And the, the, re, the way or the most common types of Tum'ah are brought. One is Tum'ah of touching flesh of animals, which we discussed in last week's parasha. Now in this week's parasha we touch, talk, talk about other ways of Tum'ah. The final way of Tum'ah will be touching a human corpse, which has yes. a separate uh, para'aduma altogether, but that's going to be brought later. Without the para'aduma, we cannot even go back, forget right, it. Right, right. So, but, but we're, so we're continuing the laws of Tum'ah that we had started in Parashat Shemini, all for, for the purpose of knowing when am I allowed to go into the newly erected Mishkan. Mishkan. That's yeah, really the, the purpose of, of our Exactly. Okay? Yes. Pasuk Aleph Perek Yudbet. 
12th chapter, first Pasuk. God spoke to Moshe saying, Speak to the children of Israel saying, A woman who conceives and gives birth to a boy. She becomes Tameh for seven days, like the days of the separation of her impurity, she shall become impure. Or the separation of her... Uh, of her nida, or yeah, yes. however you want to translate that. But the Pasuk means that a woman who conceives and has a boy, she becomes Tameh for a seven-day period, which is similar to the law of nida, and which according technically according to the law of the Torah, it's a seven-day period of, of, of impurity. Now, it's almost funny because it seems like the Torah almost assumes that we know the law of Tum'a, of Nida, but, but we haven't even learned about it yet. Yes. So, so it's interesting that Torah, it could, what, what could be the case... No, maybe it's, the, it's a crescendo. It's already starting to teaching us the laws of the Nida. Maybe, but I think what's going on is already Bnei Israel had some laws of Nida that they would keep to, in general. Because in the camp. And in the camp. Yeah. And Moshe is referencing that. By the way, the same way you separate from your wives when they are impure from their, from their Nida, this yes. is going to be when they give birth, they're going to have the same thing. Okay, Pasuk 3. On the eighth day, he should, you should uh, uh, do, circumcise the skin, the extra skin of, of uh, his or the expression that these seven days, they, Hashem let them keep the eighth day because of the Brit, so that the mother can also be present at the Brit. Oh, 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 oh good. So one of the... Okay, you, you caught everything. Um, <laughs> one of the differences... Okay, so we're, let's read on and I'll, I'll, we'll get to your point. Pasuk 4. And for 33 days she shall sit in her blood of purity. She cannot touch anything holy and she shall not approach the mikdash until the days of her purity are completed. So what's going on in this pasuk? So according to the Chazal, you understand it like this. For seven days, she has the Tumab Nida. She cannot touch her husband, she cannot nothing. go to the Mikdash, nothing. Once the seven days are complete, they do the circumcision on the eighth day. For the 33 days after the seven days, meaning for a total of 40 days, any discharge of blood that you see from the woman is called Dam Tohar. It's called pure blood. You can assume that the blood has nothing to do with nida, and therefore does not make the woman impure. So any discharge during those days, it does not make her impure. Now, today, for modern halakha, we always are concerned with discharge. We always, yes. know, we, we don't, uh, there's no, uh, there's no, we won't consider it not, you know, a thing, but we, we won't consider it not uh, nida. We'll always be careful, you know, about sure, the discharge. Anytime. But technically, according to the letter of the law, any discharge that would come in those 33 days is called this blood of purity. Blood that does not make the woman impure. So then, if she does not become impure from the perspective of nida, then what is she impure in relation to during those, the rest of the 33 days? Approaching the mikdash. Meaning, she, while she is allowed to touch her husband and there's no marital restrictions during those 33 days, the mikdash is off limits until the, the 40th day. Okay? So that would be the case of the boy. Now, now, if she gives birth to a girl, then her nida period, that first 14 days that she is forbidden to, even to her husband, go for two weeks. And then for 66 days, she remains in the state of her purity, on the blood of her purity. Now, what you were saying before is, why is it that the boy 
is seven days and the girl is 14 days. So one of the interpretations that you were saying is that really the both should be 14 days. But if the woman would have been Tameh for the Brit Milah, that would have been a problem. So, so they made her Tahor earlier so she can become Tahor for the, for the Brit Milah. Okay, that, that's what... Everything is calculated, Rabbi. Is that's kind of, kind of what you're saying. Okay. Uh, and on the completion of the days of her purity, meaning of the pure blood, meaning of the 66 extra days, whether for a boy after 40 or for a girl after 80, Tavi keves ben she should bring a calf within his first year for an Ola offering and Yona Otor Lechatat and she should bring a turtle dove or a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Very interesting Korban. It's different from any Korban we've seen. Yes. First of all, the order of the Korban, korban is, seems to be different. Uh, um, it seems like she's bringing the Ola before the Chatat. But we always said, the Chatat, you first you have to do... You have to say, forgive, ask for forgiveness, forgiveness and, then the past, and then you can move forward. Or in the case of Allah, it's not celebration, but oh, it's but more, more, it's more coming close to God. Yes. But here, it seems like she's bringing the Ola first, and then the Chatat. And on top of that, typically, if one of them is an animal, the other one was an animal. So, so it, in the previous Korbanot, if the guy brings a Keves... And for the other korban, we've, we've seen him bring a, an ox. Yes. Right? Or if he brings a keves, the other one he brings a tzon. If he brings a uh, calf, he brings for the other one a sheep. But here it's, it's, a, it's two different kind of... Yeah. Uh, okay, so, so at the end of the days of her purity, she, sorry, I, I, even, I even mistranslated the animals. She brings a lamb within his first year or for a ola and then a turtle dove or a pigeon for... A chatat. Now, according to Rashi and according to Chazal, the order wasn't changed. They actually did do the chatat first, first and then the ola. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I read last night. But, but in terms of just the way that the Torah is speaking, it's still a question. He's explaining it. No, it's, st- it's still a you question. Usually, should take it as, as, as it comes. Usually, it should be, yeah, exactly. Usually, it should be chatat first and then ola. I would say the peshat is probably that the, the Torah is, according to the peshat, the Torah is trying to tell us something by putting the ola. Uh, before the Khatat. So it's strange, okay? Then he brings it before God. Who brings it? Who brings these Korbanot? The Kohen brings it before God. And he brings atonement for her. And she becomes pure from that, that source of her blood. And this is the law of the she who gives birth whether for a boy or, a or for a girl, or male or a female. Now, Pasuk 8, But if she cannot afford a lamb for the Ola offering, now, if she, doesn't have okay, the, she doesn't have the money for the yes. lamb, and then instead of bringing one lamb and a turtle dove, she could bring two turtle doves, or shneben, uh, sorry, two pigeons, or, or two turtle doves. One of them for Ola and one for Khatat. And the Kohen will bring atonement for her, and she becomes purified. Every time that it's giving, it's giving a way that if you don't have the possibilities, you can get something cheaper to bring. 
Beauty. We've seen it, it two other times of, so far. Yes. We've seen it yes, it gives it, in the Korban Ola in general, in Parashat yes. Vaikra. We saw every, there are multiple types of voluntary offerings, depending on how wealthy the person, to the extent that if the person can't even afford a turtle dove or a pigeon, you can, bring, uh, you can even bring a mincha. Yes. And that would be like their Ola offering. That was one. The other one was for the Korban Olev Yored, which was for very specific, it was a specific type of khatat that was pertinent to very specific sins. I think the sins were... Uh, to um, going into the mikdash while impure. Yes. Uh, yes, especially or touching la- something. Not not serving as a witness when yes. You, yes. you're yes. in a position yes. Yes. of serving yes. Yes. as a witness. Yes. 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 So these are specific sins that a person had the option to bring whatever he could afford. Now this is so. This is the third time in the yes. Torah we're yes. seeing. That is giving care about you know if you don't have the means you still can come yeah. to me and bring yeah. something. Now. There are so many things that I, I want to get into. I don't even know where to start. I, 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 start from the first one that comes to your mind. No, no. There, there's a lot of discussion that has to be had. A lot of things that... Deeper ideas I want to try to, to understand. And I have yet, yet to come to an actual understanding. So I need to just open up the discussion and see if we get anywhere. Um, for example, why is it that childbirth makes a woman tameh or tameah? What is it about childbirth that causes tumah? Probably child. Because she was not having so, any, she wasn't having a menstruation for the nine months. Right. So you say something like this. So you'd say the, suddenly now, you know, it's, any it's not the child. So the the simple interpretation that I heard is that it's not the child that makes her tmea. It's, it's her body. No, it's the discharges that came out alongside the child. It's not like the child is the only thing that comes out. So all of those discharges that are experienced during childbirth. Those are what cause, there's a lot of it, and those are what causes the Tum'ah. And therefore, she must go through this Tahara process before she re-enters the Mikdash. Now, how do we know that there was no... Now, why is she bringing, for example, here's another question. Why is she bringing a sin offering for having a child? (laughs) What did she do so wrong? So the Peshat is that sin offerings aren't always for sins. Sometimes sin offerings are just... They're part of the process of allowing someone back into the camp, into any process. Anytime a person wants to clean himself and re-enter all levels of the camp, they must bring a sin offering whether they sinned or not. And you could say maybe the proof to the fact that she hasn't even sinned is the fact that the Allah comes before the khatat. Typically, if the person sinned, first is khat- you want to get rid of their sin yes, and then you bring then, the Allah. Yes, but correct. it seems like this is, uh, this is a different type very of khatat. Point. Very good it's a different point. type of khatat. Very good the Allah comes first. There's nothing stopping her from approaching God because she hasn't sinned. And then the khatat is not about approaching God, but it's about being allowed back into the camp. Something like that. You still have to think about these things. Even the ones who makes a, who makes a, we study that, you know, the one that makes, that he's not going to drink any more wine, he's not going to eat any grape, he's not yeah. going to, he also, when he finishes, the Nazir. the Nazir, when he finishes, to be able to come back, he also brings a khatat. Because yeah. he was by yeah. himself. But there's so, much, there's so much, I want, there's, there, there's much deeper significance to the, for example, here's the last thing I'll throw at you. The laws of Tuma and Tahara always pertain to death. Yes, if you touch. Where if you touch something in its state of death, then you become Tameh. And there is a relationship between the Tuma that comes from bodily discharges, that come from the, org, the life-creating organs. Wow. And birth, which is a life-creating activity, and, and tum'ah. 
Now, it's for, it's for somebody to, to develop that whole idea, that would be uh, well, helpful, but we have to, to, we, have to <laughs> we have to we have to stop there. No, I, I don't have it figured out, but there, there's an idea there. Baruch Adonai Amen, amen. Amen, amen. Now I'm going to have to